I will trust in you. My faith will not be shaken. In these many years of ministry, two questions stand out for me and the people I've met. Actually, three. First, how does one become a Christian? Two, how does one live the Christian life? And three, how does one remain a Christian? The answer to all three of these questions is the same. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Sometimes we hesitate at those words because they seem too simplistic, and we all are aware, or at least most of us who, who are gathered here this morning are aware that just believing is not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not something that comes natural to us. The children are the perfect example, aren't they? Parents that they know love them and care about them get ready to serve dinner and they put that on the plate and at about the age two or three, they start doing strange things. But if you think about it, they were doing strange things before. Remember when you'd try to hold a spoon in front of their lips and they wouldn't open it because they weren't going to trust what was coming next? They couldn't say anything. They couldn't do anything. But have you ever seen a child take the bite in its mouth and then go, because they didn't like those green beans. They liked that fruit much better. You know, they get older and they do worse. You know, they just look at it on their plate and you say, you have to eat three bites of that before you can go play with your toys. I don't really want to play. If it means eating that stuff, I don't want to go. Just try it. You'll probably like it. No, I won't. How do you know you haven't tried it? I won't try it. No. Well, then you'll stay in your bed and not eat till next week. And then they go, I trust that won't happen. In their heads. Because they don't really believe you'd make them go that long without food, right? They trust you. They want to follow you. But sometimes you ask them to do things they don't really want to do. How do I remain a child of yours when you ask me to do things I don't want to do? Just believe. Just believe. Now, I confess to you that these words do things to me. I've read them so many times, and I've read them so many times this week. And every time I do, people come into my mind. Situations arise. The times I've looked at people who are torn apart, who are hurting and suffering, grieving, people who are struggling, lost and afraid, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Despite what's going on, despite how you feel, despite how things look, despite 
your lack of understanding? Just believe. You know, when you sing in the choir, part of singing in a choir is believing, right? Trusting the people next to you. Trusting that they will hit the note that you can't quite hear sometimes. Trusting that they'll hit it loud enough that whatever you miss will be covered up. Trusting that what you see together, blended together, comes out right for the people out there. Because you're not professional singers by trade. It's not what you do on Sunday morning. You come to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's true of the instrumentation. It's true of all those who play instruments, who stand up to use their talents and skills before the Lord. There's a certain amount of trust that goes with that. Not only do you trust in each other, whom you've rehearsed with and you've practiced with and you come to believe in, but you trust in the people located in that back booth, right? But they won't mess up what you've planned for, right? They trust that nobody will come on stage and trip on a wire and mess it all up. Trust is a powerful, powerful necessity. So when we say believe in God, it is so important that we know what we mean because we have to pass that on to the people who are asking the question, how do I learn to be a Christian? What must I do? And to the people who are, how do I live the Christian life? Well, have you got 30 years for me to explain it to you? No, I just need this short, simple ABC version. Could you give me that today? How do I believe and remain in constant communion with this Savior that people tell me about when so often my world is crashing down around me? Pistuo is a verb that is used there in verse 1. It's a great Greek word, but like many Greek words, it doesn't really translate well to English on its own. Pistuo is often translated into scriptures, believe. In more recent years, commentators have become to, be, become to be more sensitive, realizing that saying just believe in the English vernacular is not strong enough. Believing carries the connotation of mental assent. But believing is that, but it's also much, much more than that. Simply believing that Jesus was the Son of God, simply believing that he came to die for our sins, simply pointing to and nodding your head and saying, yes, I believe the man Jesus lived, is a good start, but it's not the full power of the word believe. For you really get the biblical sense of the term, you have to word what in our language is a little stronger word, trust. Trust. I believe that you love me today and I'm willing to marry you, but I'm trusting that you will love me in 40 years from now. You see the difference? One is in your head, the other is in your heart. So trust, this Greek word that we translate believe so often, can seem very casual, can seem very easy, can seem more simplistic than it is, and yet really it is simplistic. Because like a child, Jesus said, you must come to me. How do children come to their parents? With trust. They don't expect to come to you and ask for a fish and get a stone. They don't expect to come to you when they're hurting and for you to turn your back on them. They don't expect for you to leave them in a situation 
where they don't have enough food to eat or to have shelter over them. And they trust that if that event does happen, you will lead them to a place where they will be cared for. That's trust. Reliance upon the object of your trust. One of my great fears in ministry is that people believe in their head, but they don't believe in their heart. I've mostly been talking to people who are Christian most of my life. But sometimes they're just barely Christian, and sometimes they're not yet committed, trusting Christians. And so therefore, their hold, their grip on the Christian life is very, very weak. And the cares and concerns of this world shake them to their roots, and often they find themselves in a free fall, falling away from the presence of God and falling into the traps of sin and estrangement in the world in which we live. And they don't know how to get a grip back onto the one that they know in their head is the way out of the mess they're in. These disciples were about to be shaken to the core, and Jesus knew it. He did not want them, however, to be uninformed. He wanted them to understand the chaos that was going to engulf them this week was ever rampant and ever present in their lives. They were ever going to struggle with that. And so he told them, you need to be stubborn about this. And in so many words. He didn't use the word stubborn, but that's what he meant. When you see me dying upon the cross, when you hear the awful things about me, when you see what appears to be my incapability of stopping the tragedy that's happening in my life, believe in God Believe also in me. William Barclay writes these words about this idea. He said, believe when we cannot prove. Believe and accept what we cannot fully understand. Then the unbearable becomes bearable. Then, even in the darkness, there is always a glimmer of light. And into this picture comes Thomas, good old doubting Thomas. He can't, get a, he can't get out of the way of himself. He believes, and yet he's also filled with unbelief and questions. He doesn't like believing without understanding. And when people come to you and say, how do I become a Christian? Oftentimes, they mean that. They mean that because it just seems too easy when you say believe in Jesus and trust in him. It just seems too little. It just doesn't seem like that could be possibly be efficacious in their lives. It just seems to them that you're just telling them to do something that's so simplistic that it can't possibly work. Just believe, Jesus says. Now, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Now, Jesus has been telling them over and over again by this time that he's going to be going to the Father, that he's going to come back and receive them again to himself. Here he's going to tell them, I'm going there to prepare a place for you and a way for you to provide life for you because I truly am who I say I am. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. That's the words that were read to you from the scripture today when Philip voiced the same concern. So see, even in this context, he says the same thing in a different way two or three times. How many times does it take for us to tell someone, just believe until they get it? You know, I've got this 
theory, and it goes like this. Christians today would be much more faithful in telling people to believe if people would just simply do it when they tell them to do it. I mean, if they just do it, you know, after that first time, or maybe even the second or third time, you know, right? I mean, if they just do it, you'd be okay. You'd go do it again. But so many people have to be told 50 times by 40 different people before someday they go, ha, da. Someday the Spirit comes, and they don't just not recognize it, but rather they receive the Spirit, and they go, wow, that's what they meant all these times. Just believe, mind and heart. Throw myself with abandon into the arms of God in the name of Jesus. Don't listen to what they say on the TV. Don't believe the doubters who say there are many ways to God, because quite frankly, there is not. There is one way to God. That's what Christians believe. That's what the scriptures testify to. And you say, you're not being very politically correct. You better believe I'm not being politically correct. Because God's real picky about the way and the truth and the life. In the sense that he is, there is only one way to the way and the truth and the life, and that's Jesus. Now, you may get all tied up into that, and you may say, well, what about the person in the deepest, darkest point of Africa? Jesus can let anybody in the house he wants to. I don't worry about the other thans, because Jesus will take care of them. In what way, I don't know. And you know what? I just trust he'll do what's right. Because the Father looks at each one of us into our heart, and he says, how about that one, son? And Jesus goes, yeah, I know it doesn't look like it, Father, but really that person is loved with the fullness of the way they were presented. You, you know, they're wearing strange clothes for Christians. It's all right, Father. They love me. They love the idea of me. Unfortunately, your people haven't really gone to them and told them the right way to love me, but they're there. And you say, Doug, did you just make an excuse for everyone to come to Jesus? No, I did not. You can get that idea at funerals these days. Everybody's going to heaven, and I hope they are, but I fear they're not. Because it's only the people who have believed in their head and trusted in their heart and thrown their full reliance upon God in the name of Jesus who are going to be there in the end. That's the only ones. And I don't have to worry about who they are. God takes care of all of that. The Holy Spirit is constantly calling them. I baptized someone 85 years old in the hospital who died the next day. I believe they're in heaven. Why? Because you don't get to heaven by works. Finally, ultimately, before they drew their final breath, they cried out to God. And I believe God heard them just like he heard the thief on the cross. You have to be stubborn in times of disbelief. Jesus looks at these poor, begone disciples and goes, look, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. They may not have gotten it yet, and they still didn't get it then because it's going to happen again and again. But in the end, with the coming of the Spirit, it will all make sense. It will all fall into place. Now, for the Jewish life, there were three great conceptions of what it meant to be a Jew and to be loyal to God. There was the way of God. That was the first thing. And Deuteronomy talks about that all the way back in the fifth chapter. Let's hear what it says about the way. 
So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land in which you will possess. I am the way. That's Jesus. I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. The truth. There's another one for us. The Jewish people look to Psalm 86 as one expression of that. Verse 11, when it talks about the truth, even way back then. And it says there these words. You will make known to me the path of life. This is Old Testament stuff. In your presence is fullness of joy, Old Testament stuff. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's the truth. That's the truth of what it means to believe in Jesus, to rely upon Jesus for your sustenance, for your protection, for life itself. And then finally he says, I am the life. Psalm 1611 says, show me the path of life. And when Philip questioned him again, Jesus said, I've been with you all this time. Haven't you seen the Father in me and me in the Father? Enough that you can believe, and if not, then what about the works I've done? If you can't believe in what I've told you, believe in what you've seen that I have done as I walk this earth. He alone is the way to God. He alone is the truth that is eternal and non-compromising as the centuries flow by. In him is not only the way and the truth, but in him is life at its best. My father's house, there are many dwelling places. Dwelling places. And we humans start go asking questions, right? Uh, who, who, and I'm going to come and take you to myself. Well, when are you coming, Lord? Uh, will it be next week? I, I want to be sure I'm ready. Is it going to be another thousand years from now? I've got time. Uh, when are you coming? Will it be happening at Easter? When, when you... You rise from the dead? Will it happen on Pentecost when the coming of the Spirit arrives? Will it come at our death when we breathe no more upon this earth? Will it come at the second coming of Jesus Christ when finally our presence will be with you? Or is it all of the above? And is it all of the above plus when you're discouraged, when you're tempted? When you're filled with sorrow and grief. When you're anxious and confused and don't understand. He is coming. He is coming to you who believe so that wherever you are, Jesus is with you also. Just like he promised when he said, where I am, there you will be also. The dwelling places of God is in heaven and it's on earth and it's wherever the kingdom of God is. 
is reigning. Close your eyes for just a moment. And listen to the scriptures one more time. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, looking right at Thomas, I am the way, Thomas, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Clear, right? And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Philip, are you paying attention? Congregation, are you listening? Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And then he whispered in a word that the writer did not hear. Just believe. Just believe. At that time, Thomas didn't, and really neither did Philip. They didn't know the way and the truth and the life yet, but be coming with the Spirit. That's not the real question today. The real question is, do you believe? I don't talk about some mental thing to get a ticket to heaven. I'm talking about is your every breath relied upon God. Gracious God in heaven, these are your children. They're in different places in their life, different stages of their spiritual growth. They understand at different levels. They've read the scriptures in different ways, in different amounts with different teachers. They are, however, your children, each and every one of them. Some who know it and some who don't. Holy Spirit, take them in your hand. Embrace them, and for whatever unbelief is still left in them, for whatever reliance upon themselves or upon others or upon science or upon political governments or upon any other thing that they cast their faith upon, 
convince them this day that you and you alone are the way and the truth and the life. Brothers and sisters, just believe. Bless them, Lord, as they struggle believing, as they struggle in believing. We're going to stand now and sing as our closing prayer comes into music. If you're here today and you've never believed, this chancel rail is open. We would love to hear your need for Christ. If you're here today and you believe, but yet there's still so much unbelief that is directing your ways in so many different ways in God, this chancel rail is open for you to come and pray. I invite you to come as we continue to worship in song.